0: Before the podcast begins, we would like to pay a tribute and hold a dedication of this podcast to Mac Kramer, a former Rock Springs High School speech and debate member. Mac had a great personality and dedication to what they did and had always kept a smile on their face when things were tough.
1: We were shocked to have heard about their loss in recent days, and our community has lost a bright and caring soul who went away way too quickly. Many of our peers are still grieving and we wanna let them know that we are here for one another. Don't ever be afraid to reach out. It's the best thing for us to do in the midst of this difficult time.
0: At one point in time, we hope to walk alongside this great person again, whether it be in another life, world, or atmosphere. Despite the problems that are being faced, we know that the show must go on.
1: Our condolences goes out to their parents, friends, and anyone who knew Mac on a personal level. May they rest in peace. Hello, extempers, speech and debaters, and everybody else listening to this podcast. Welcome to episode three of the Half Hour Under the One Clap podcast. I hope that you have been taking a bunch of advice from our podcast and that we're helping you out without further ado, my name is Yu Yu.
0: And my name is Spencer.
1: And this week, we are going to be talking about the Texas abortion ban, or otherwise known as the Senate 8 bill, correct? Right.
0: Yes, that would be the Senate 8 bill.
1: Okay. So first, before we begin, we want to thank the listeners for their support for the show so far. We have had great feedback and We've heard it's been helping and I hope that is true for everybody that listens to this podcast. And also before we dive into this episode, we want to put a trigger warning here. Just when discussing the topic of abortion is already a sensitive issue, but other topics such as like mental and for physical abuse, sexual assault, rape, and incest will also be mentioned. We also acknowledge that this doesn't just affect women, it affects the LGBTQ plus community, and we'll talk about the effects on this community with the most accurate statements and information that we can find. We will admit we are both straight and somewhat privileged, so we want to be able to represent this community as best we can and make a safe environment throughout our show and just generally. But if you are ever in a type of situation where you experience sexual assault or rape, which hopefully you will never have to be in, please contact the National Sexual Assault Hotline at 1-800-656-4673 and seek any type of help or guidance you feel you need. We also want to just be straight up about it. We are both heavily, heavily pro-choice. And there might be some of that bias throughout this episode, but we will provide you fact-checked and accurate as accurate information as we can.
0: Yeah, that's going to be something that I think a lot of listeners need to pay attention to. Um, we're going to do our best. This is a very difficult topic, and I think a lot of the listeners need to understand that. Both of us have our opinions. Both of us have our beliefs. Um, we're going to work on, on it to try to make sure that both the pro-choice and the pro-life side of the coin are heard and are expressed in this episode.
1: Yeah, and as always, we encourage open-mindedness so that you're better able to form well-informed opinions.
0: Without any further delay, if you, you, you are all cool, we're going to jump right into this. So this law, we're going to start with the law in general, okay? What is the law? What does it say? Because a lot of people probably don't understand it. And the truth is, this law is super complicated. It, it's kind of one of the weirdest laws I've ever seen written. When you actually take a look at how it's put together, it's not like a law that you just genuinely see. If you if you go into a Congress round for speech and debate, you know the way that a Congress bill looks like. This is not that. This is very, very different. Um, So how we're going to describe this law is like an amendment. It's more of, they've got previous sections, or each of the sections that are in this bill are revisions to original things that were put together by the state of Texas. When you look at Section 3, for example, it amends Chapter 171, which is a health and safety code, and it breaks that health and safety code into a number of different parts to revise what it says so it can fit a brand new law per se. So it's important to note that each section in the law is made to amend what was previously in place. This is, so rather than looking at this as a law, even though it is a law, it's more of like a long amendment and a change to what was originally in place. I also wanna point out a few other interesting notes about this law. So the state of Texas officially terms this as the Texas Heartbeat Act. That's not something that you're typically gonna hear when you're reading the news. Um, You're often gonna use the terminology of Senate Bill 8 or they'll even just say the Texas abortion law. Um, But technically speaking, if you were to read a more of like a collegiate paper on this, this is going to be referred to as a Texas Heartbeat Act. That is their original, and that, that's how they have titled this. Okay. Um, section two was kind of interesting in the law, and it uses this exact wording: quote, the legislature finds that the state of Texas never repealed either expressly or by implication the state statutes enacted before the ruling in Roe v. Wade of 1973 that prohibit and criminalize abortion unless the mother's life is in danger, end quote. Okay, there's a big takeaway from this. Abortions were never changed to the Supreme Court ruling in 1973. This is prior to that Supreme Court ruling, okay? So this abortion law just became in place for after what would that be 50 years now Hey, okay, so this has not been something that's been changed for a very long time um as the texas tribune stated it was originally 20 weeks before an abortion was considered illegal in the state of texas while pill induced abortions were legal after 10 weeks of pregnant of pregnancy so looking at this kind of just from that general perspective right? There's a lot that's changed just in the passing of this bill. A law that's been in place for over 50 years has all of a sudden got changed in the matter of a few minutes. And that's kind of the big issue that you see with the Texas Heartbeat Act, right? It is a monstrous change from the original abortion laws that were in place prior to Roe v. Wade. CBS News notes these five, As the biggest changes that people need to know. The first one is that abortions are banned six weeks after pregnancy. And in some cases, there is an argument that states that most women don't even know that they're pregnant by that point. And that is a really big deal because if you find out that you're pregnant in the seventh week of pregnancy, there is no way that you are able to have an abortion. So that is a Pretty quick pro-choice statement, Um, but all things considered, abortions are banned six weeks after pregnancy, period. Uh, Anyone who, the second thing, anyone who provides an abortion or helps for access to an abortion after six weeks can lead to lawsuits by private citizens in the state of Texas. This is where this law gets really weird. When it says private citizens, that means anybody, Anybody that is not specifically involved with the government in any shape or form, okay? So that could be your neighbor, that could be your best friend, that could be your mom, that could be your dad, that could be your child, right? Anybody who provides an abortion or has helped for access to it is immediately entitled to a lawsuit by anybody, which gets even weirder so the third thing that is looked at with this with this law is in court there's no need to show a connection or proof of injury so a really good quick argument to this would be well what if this never happened so it's kind of this really big blur of a law that's built based off of lawsuits so somebody can Turn around, submit a lawsuit against somebody who has had an abortion and say this person has had an abortion illegally seven weeks in pregnancy, for example. And I am going to submit a lawsuit against that specific person and I don't have to show connection or proof of injury to show that they illegally had an abortion. No need to show. The fourth thing is if the law is violated and I win that lawsuit, okay, there's a $10,000 fine minimum that's paid to me. Okay, It's paid to the private citizens, which is kind of an odd feature to this law, kind of a really confusing part to where it's not paid to court. It's not paid to the government. It's paid directly to the person that brought it up. And if it's proven as a violation, it is done through, or the fine gets paid to the person who called the person out. And the fifth most important thing is there is no exceptions to pregnancies that result from rape or incest. So the law is built strictly on lawsuits, which is what makes it kind of strong in a way where it can be very strict. the New York Times makes a very good point here. It says, quote, while many states have passed abortion bans, the law in Texas was drafted specifically to make it difficult to challenge in court. Lawsuits are the enforcement mechanism. No law enforcement officer or other government official is tasked with upholding the new law. End quote. That means if this was if an abortion was considered illegal, it gets filed for lawsuit. It's very difficult for a lawsuit to climb the ladder and to get to federal court to be deemed as unconstitutional, which is a really big challenge to Roe v. Wade. Because if this is deemed as unconstitutional, right, if it was per se to be deemed as unconstitutional, then it would have to work its way up somehow. But it really can't, considering that it's private citizens that are filing lawsuits which is kind of a big loophole to the whole Roe v. Wade problem. It just kind of goes about and meanders its way around the original court case to show private citizens can now have power to call somebody out for having an abortion. So the key point, despite the law having a ton of amendments to original chapters, the new law is quite detailed and holds a lot of changes from the prior Texas law. And that's kind of where we're going to get into this whole discussion of Roe v. Wade that you is about to bring up. But that is a really key point here. This law is private citizens filing lawsuits. This has nothing to do with government officials trying to uphold the new law or a law enforcement officer trying to uphold the new law. It can be the person's next door neighbor. It could be their mom. It could be their dad. It can be literally anybody who deems that this person has had an abortion.
1: And we'll talk a little bit about how that affects, you know, the states and everybody else a little later on. But before we do that, we should dive into Roe v. Wade and what It says and what it means, basically. So the Texas law, not only does it hold a lot of changes to previous Texas law, but it also has affected the precedent that was set by Roe v. Wade, like Spencer said. This is the famous court case that happened between 1971 to 1973. And I'm kind of getting my ahead of myself here, so let's break down Roe v. Wade and what it actually means. So I'm sure most of us had heard whispers of this court case in a history class or in a legal studies class, but those classes probably skip over the most important details that make it matter. Uh, well, oddly enough, Roe v. Wade also takes place in Texas and also contests a Texas abortion law. So it's important to note that Texas has an abortion law or has had an abortion law, and Roe v. Wade was the one that overturned that law and made it illegal and unconstitutional. So the story is Norma McCorvey, or more famously known as Jane Roe, was pregnant with her third child at age 21. Her mother was raising her first child, and her second child had been given up for adoption. She wanted to terminate her pregnancy, but at that time, Texas prohibited all abortions unless it was a medical emergency or the pregnancy arose due to incest or rape. Her solution was to claim that she had been raped so that Texas could grant her an exception. She was then put into contact with two lawyers who were already working on a case against the abortion ban. Granted, she did end up having the baby anyway and gave it up for adoption, but they still went forward with the case. The Supreme Court ruled in favor of Roe with a 7-2 decision, agreeing that the abortion ban violated her 9th and 14th Amendment rights. Now, if you don't know, the Ninth Amendment states that the Bill of Rights doesn't confine all civil rights to these 10 amendments. There can be other civil rights that exist, and allowing the right to privacy to be considered a civil right was what the Ninth Amendment did. The Fourteenth Amendment states that no state can deprive a U.S. citizen of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, which also implicitly grants the right to privacy. And when we talk about the right to privacy in this case, it's important to note that it just applies to the doctor-patient relationship, meaning because of the oath doctors take, the information shared between the two parties need to remain private. That's not possible if Texas is banning abortion, in which the doctor has to share the patient's information to the state and reveal her medical consultation and what she has gone through. I took a course in bioethics senior year, shout out to Professor Sheldon at Northwestern University, and he shared a beautiful quote by Justice Blackman that perfectly sums up the reason why abortion bans should never be dictated by law, stating, quote, we need not resolve the difficult question of when life begins when those trained in the respective disciplines of medicine, philosophy and theology are unable to arrive at any consensus the judiciary at this point in the development of man's knowledge is not in a position to speculate as to the answer. Basically this is saying that if these professionals and experts in their field can't even figure out and decide when life begins then what right do lawmakers have to dictate when life begins and basically ban the abortion uh, is on the basis that we are killing a life. And more recently, as you've heard, the Supreme Court ruled in the defendant's favor in Whole Woman's Health v. Jackson. Now the Hill article claims that this negatively affects Roe v. Wade and limits it directly because the court didn't declare the Texas abortion ban unconstitutional. But there are some misconceptions here. While Roe v. Wade does ban abortion on like the basis of the right to privacy, It's also banning the abortion ban as long as the law, the government itself, is the one banning the abortion. But because, as Spencer said, this is civil lawsuits with individual citizens suing other people, it's harder to enforce Roe v. Wade here because it's not the government directly doing it. So I'm not saying that the Texas heartbeat bill is good or right. I'm just saying that this court case was not the one to stop this law. Whole Woman's Health is an organization based in Texas dedicated to getting women affordable and accessible abortions. They want to file a class action lawsuit against 114th District Court Judge Austin Reeve Jackson. It's technically not a case that had full litigation. Whole Woman's Relief applied for injunctive relief through Justice Alito, and he brought it to the Supreme Court Justice to decide. Now, injunctive relief is just legal jargon. That means if the court rules in favor of them, then the Texas bill would cease to exist because it's found unconstitutional. But because of the nature of the case, whole women's relief had a huge burden of proof that they couldn't meet, again, what we discussed earlier. The main problem and reason why the court ruled in favor of Judge Jackson was because there wasn't any real proof of him doing harm or ruling in favor of the plaintiff in cases where they reported an illegal abortion. And he also outright stated he, would, he wouldn't he would vote against the Constitution and he wouldn't vote in favor of the plaintiff in these kind of cases, meaning harm's not really being done if, you know, he ruled in favor with the defendant. What's important to note here is that this case doesn't decide the constitutionality of the bill at all. The majority opinion just didn't find enough convincing evidence to terminate the bill. Was this the right decision? Probably not. But I mean, like, I'll leave that up to you to decide. And we'll discuss why later on this podcast when we answer why it's like probably not and when we get to the questions. But at the moment, the Texas legislation is still in action and the effects that it can have on our country and people is probably very dramatic. And Spencer will explain why it affects other states.
0: And let's just dive right into it. Just to note, this law did take effect on September 1st. It's the official, that was the official start date to make sure everybody does understand that too. Um, let's talk about the effects that this legislation is going to have on this country. And I want to just start with what Governor Greg Abbott said. So, first off, that is the governor of Texas. When signing this bill, he stated, quote, Our creator endowed us with the right to life, yet millions of children lose their life every year because of abortion. Abbott also noted, quote, the legislature worked together on a bipartisan basis to pass a bill that I am about to sign that ensures that the life of every unborn child who has a heartbeat will be saved from the ravages of abortion. Two things to note here. Our creator likely refers to God, and holds a Christian point of view. In essence, Governor Abbott puts a specific focus on the life that God gives for everyone, which is, it's definitely a pro-life point of view where Governor Abbott is saying, look, every child is born in the creation of God's eyes. It's wrong to have an abortion because this person is there, Or this person should be there to have a good life, right? So it's an interesting point of view, definitely Christian point of view, and looking at it from this is the way that God is supposed to be there and give life to our children. Governor Abbott also illustrates that this was a bipartisan basis. I want to explicitly state that that is wrong. The bill information that you are going to find is that this is passed by Republicans mainly. This was completely down the right side of the aisle. Um, The information, we have the exact bill linked in the sources and the bill physically states that, not in the bill, but where it tells you the spectrum of the bill, it was a partisan bill by Republicans. there was no bipartisanship on this bill. Um, So that is a completely incorrect statement. So here's a tough reality. If federal courts uphold this law, other states are going to follow suit. And actually, as we are recording this, we have started to see that already happening. Um, A few states, i.e. North Carolina was one of them on September 2nd, I believe they implemented a brand new law for abortion. And all you're going to start seeing is a chain effect of the same kind of strict laws that go more in favor for pro-life. Okay. That is the reaction that's going to happen in the country. Okay. Is States that tend to be a little bit more red are going to start following what Texas has done. Texas is going to lead the nation in having more abortion laws that are focused on pro-life. Okay. One of the biggest problems came right before midnight on the day when the law was to go into effect, which would be August 31st before it went into effect on September 1st. And it was exactly what you you just stated. The Supreme Court declined the option to halt the restrictions of the Texas law, which is a key factor in showing that the Supreme Court May overturn Roe v. Wade, which is a big effect on the country. But the Supreme Court needs to be careful with that action because allowing this enforcement can lead to other states following suit by making abortion laws that are similar, as we've already seen. But it doesn't have to necessarily be abortion. What There's a really good article that's linked in the sources that states that the same thing can happen with other states, such as California's gender transitioning law. So while the decision seems to allow Texas to do its thing, remember that liberal states can also take advantage of this decision. The Supreme Court may find that to be unconstitutional. But one thing to note specifically here is that the idea to not decline is a really good indicator that other states can take advantage of their laws that they have specifically that allow for more progressive bases. So one result from the issues that have happened is the creation of helplines from what usually are call centers for abortion services in Texas. The New York Times noted that they were crowded with crying women weighing unforeseen circumstances and undesired options. You, you will go more into that information here shortly. More of on the polarization. This is a really good discussion because we do have political polarization happening right now in the United States. But abortion has been a topic of concern for years. This isn't just something that just happened overnight logically speaking pro-life and pro-choice arguments honestly have not changed too much while this law was particularly strict logically speaking it is really highly unlikely that this impact is going to cause more polarization but that's just my argument speaking out loud biggest takeaways from the effects on this country number one The Supreme Court's decision will lead to other states following suit and in the footsteps of Texas. However, it doesn't necessarily mean that it will be on the the legislation or topic of abortion. Number two, increased polarization will not come from the law as stances on the issue have remained pretty similar over time. It is unlikely to see increased polarization. And number three, there will be tremendous effects on women and others across the nation, which, once again, UU is about to bring that up here shortly. I will also note this. A few hours prior to recording this podcast, we are beginning to see some international effects. So on the 7th of September, Mexico's Supreme Court ruled that abortion ought to be decriminalized, a vote that occurred unanimously in the 11-seat Supreme Court. In other words, that means making an abortion a crime is unconstitutional. Now, this is not caused or and or correlated with the United States and Texas' abortion law. However, the purpose of this is to show that countries around the United States are starting to show acceptance to abortion. Latin American countries have had a massive women's rights movement that has shaped their countries, and Mexico is one of the first signs. The biggest reason as to why this matters is international pressure against the United States. If abortion is considered as a fundamental human right across the border, then it becomes a pressure to the United States to ensure that same right. Pressure and tension is imperative to upholding human rights. The United States has a very good role in the world of trying to show good ways to help everybody, okay? If something usually happens in the United States, there's typically gonna be some effects across the world too. But pressure and tension from from international communities can also happen to the United States. Remember the Black Lives Matter movement. It's a pretty good example here. Black Lives Matter had international pressure on the United States. This would not be the first instance of this. And seeing Latin American countries, and especially Mexico as of recently, that pressure is going to be implemented on the United States to ensure that abortion is a fundamental human right. When rulings and or problems affect the United States, sometimes the impact that is seen from the international community will play an effect on the United States. For example, Mexico may start pressuring the U.S. to ensure the same rights for those who Maybe they need to seek asylum from violence that's in that state. And this is also important to note. It's a big step because Mexico is the world's second largest Catholic nation. That's pretty interesting, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and just like something to mention, like, along the lines of facing international pressure, the, I want to get this right, the human rights campaign, like, has issued a statement following the Supreme Court's decision and ruling in favor of Jackson. And It just basically states that they find it like horrific, in a sense, because the decision to get an abortion should remain private among the patient and their doctor and shouldn't be dictated by law, which is in their statements basically summed up. And they also think it's really sad that the Supreme Court didn't rule against Jackson, basically kind of saying, like, what are you doing, you know? And that could be a wake up call for some of our legislators, or it couldn't, or it just doesn't matter. But they are facing pressure nonetheless. And, like, with that, we have to get into the nitty gritty and how this is affecting people right now, which is a really sad part and where the trigger warning at the beginning of this episode will mostly take place. It's just when we talk about the effects that it has on people. We usually tend to focus on cisgender women, but that's not the only group that this bill will affect. But let's start with the effects that it has on women, um, because that's also an important part. The bill states that the person that is getting the abortion or the people that aids in getting an abortion can be sued by any citizen and will receive a $10,000 bounty. You know, this means that's it's not directly the state banning abortion after six weeks. It's the state encouraging their citizens to ban abortion for them. Now this is bad because it's working to keep organizations, women and people scared. And that's why despite not agreeing with the law, providers and healthcare workers are forced to comply with the law. Now this also means it's harder to take down at the federal level, since it's not directly the state suing women, it's other people. Which is why we saw the whole Women's Health v. Jackson court case failed to stop the law and why it's sending chills down everyone's spine. Because if this can misdirect the Supreme Court, then people in other states will also feel the negative impacts too, meaning more people are hurt and more people are faced with emotional and mental trauma and physical trauma too. But at the moment, the people that are affected the most are those in Texas. When discussing the women that are affected, it's mainly the ones that are in in the lower and working class. Some background here, most people that get pregnant don't know that they're pregnant until the sixth week where they've missed a period and they're starting to feel the symptoms. Then after that, they probably decide to take a pregnancy test and it'll show up positive. But once they take the test, they now only have a limited amount of time to decide to decide what they're going to do. And usually that's probably a week with the ban now. They then have to schedule an appointment that is at a convenient time for them where they probably can't take time off of work or they can't afford to do so, or they just don't have the necessary transportation or resources to get there at that time. And all of this has to be done before the fetus has a heartbeat. And the problem is that's almost impossible to do. You know, these people now have to deal with an unplanned pregnancy and go through the trauma of having birth of having to birth a child. And if they were raped or the baby happened through incest, they would have to carry the mental and physical trauma that can develop after those situations. And it's not just those situations in particular. If you are a lower income woman and you have a baby, or if you're just like in the family generally and they have a baby, it can also cause mental and emotional drain and trauma to them as well. Meaning like, mental effects and mental illnesses can occur simply just because they've had a baby and they're going through a stressful situation and they're going through a stressful time where they have no other option. Women might feel like they have no choice or people who are pregnant might feel like they have no choice but to do it themselves and that is just unacceptable in its own right. Very traumatic to their own bodies too because performing an abortion on yourself is very damaging to your health and to the person so with that not only does it have like emotional it has an emotional impact it also has a very physical impact to it as well the law that's trying to prevent abortions from happening might even have the chance of increasing abortions but illegal abortions that are not clean not right and do a lot of damage this also violates women's privacy Because if sued, their medical documents from the clinic will have to be revealed, which directly goes against the precedent set by Roe v. Wade, and also put more emotional trauma on the defendant. No one really wants their medical records to be explicitly revealed. Like There's a reason why doctors and physicians pledge an oath of secrecy so that the patient feels comfortable sharing that information necessary to get them treated correctly. And this, again, doesn't just affect women. People are already looking to sue reproductive clinics no matter what they did. Now, this drains resources from those clinics or the organizations, which negatively impacts not only women, but the LGBTQ plus community, too. Draining those resources can sometimes lead to clinics shutting down or clinics not offering their services because they're scared they'll get sued. And they just they don't just help women with their rep- reproductive needs. They're also the ones that prescribe hormones to transgender people. And centers that focus on LGBTQ plus reproductive health can also be affected this way in Texas, limiting already limited resources to their community. If they're focusing on their resources to fight off lawsuits, that's less resources that goes to HIV and AIDS prevention and cures, less resources that goes to sex education generally, and less resources that goes to hormone therapy for transgender people. And so we see that it's not just women that's affected by this law. It is everybody associated with it and the LGBT community and just generally it can affect a lot of people and has a bunch of negative effects. So that was a lot of sensitive information to unload. So take a breather and we will get into the questions that will pop up probably in a step.
0: All right. The first question that we have is the Biden administration priming itself for a battle to pack the Supreme Court. This is an outdated question. Hey, I found this question back when it was in May. Right. But now, especially with the decisions that have just recently happened with the court case that you was talking about. This is a really good time to start asking this question because. It was a big question that then-candidate Joe Biden was questioned with after the quickly passing through of Amy Coney Barrett. So now this is a really good time more than ever to ask this question. And I actually want to start with you, you, here, rather than take a jump at it. I kind of am interested in seeing which side you take first. And I want to know what your answer would be to this question.
1: Yeah. Um, for me personally, I would answer no. Uh, and there's a couple of reasons why I would answer no. And that's just because the Biden administration itself doesn't seem like they are, you know, going to do anything to pack the court. Like there's no plans really in the agenda to pack the court. And despite Biden saying, and stating that they will pack the court, that hasn't happened. You know, like it just doesn't feel like it's going to happen. And while you can say that this might trigger him packing the court, there should have been other things that would have triggered Biden packing the court. Uh, and I would just say he wouldn't do it because it could hurt his view amongst voters. If he wants to be reelected in the office, then packing the court probably doesn't seem like the right decision. But if you wanted to go with yes, there are a couple of like reasons why it could be a yes too. Like, for example, the Supreme Court decision in the recent court case on September 1st was a five to four decision with Chief Justice Roberts, which identifies as a conservative, voted with the liberals. There's three liberals among the Supreme Court, and the rest are conservative. But Chief Justice Roberts voted with the liberals and they still didn't get what they wanted. So that's a reason that could, you know, nudge Biden to pack the court so that it's fair or like, you know, have more democratic say. Uh, And by democratic say, I mean like left say in the court. Another reason why he would probably pack the court is because there's pressure from Congress from the Democratic Party in Congress stating that you know like this is an issue you need to fix this problem packing the court is probably the fastest solution that you'll get and that could pressure the Biden administration to pack the courts too.
0: This is definitely I actually think that right now this is a very good topical question. Um, We, we definitely had this conversation when society was talking about what was President Biden going to do especially seeing that Coney Barrett went through so quickly. Right. And quite frankly, I'm definitely on the side of, no, I'm with you there. Um, but yes, really does sound like a logical argument right now. Um, you gotta remember the president has a pretty tough stance on abortions, He's pro-choice. Okay. Um, and it's a really good way for him to see that, Packing the Supreme Court. I don't know if he'd necessarily like pack using that term, but maybe even adding like two more justices would give him the majority to try to uphold the constitutionality that was shown in Roe v. Wade. Um, having that right to privacy as illustrated from the Ninth and the 14th Amendments, as what Roe v. Wade showed. That's a really big. That President Biden can do. I mean, remember that actually he can't do that. That's passed by Congress, right? He can appoint. Um, but it's a really big issue that we can see happening. Obviously.
1: And I I would also like point out and take a note here that there is nothing in the Constitution that states we can only have nine Supreme Court justices. Uh, usually what's happened throughout history is that they've added the number of Supreme Court justices, to nine. We just haven't added any more than that. But it's still possible that he can add two more Supreme Court justices.
0: Yeah, I was actually even researching that yesterday. Uh, there is nothing in the third article. Um, there's been statements over time that people have stated, like there's been maximum amounts of justices that you can have or a minimum amount. There's really nothing that says it anywhere that can make it to where he can add, or the Congress can add two more justices, right? And Biden can appoint two more or add seven more and Biden can appoint seven more to it. Um, For a long time, it's remained at the nine that it is now. Um, And back with Franklin D. Roosevelt, then Senator Biden uh, actually turned around and stated that he was not actually in support of expanding the court when it was actually being contested at that time too. Um, So kind of to note like the long history there, um, some of the statements that he's made, and this was of course prior to this abortion law, but a few statements that we can definitely see that Biden is not interested in packing the court, right? One of them was this idea of creating a chain effect. If President Biden turns around and adds three more justices to the court, then the next administration could add three more, and then the next one could add three more, and the next one, so on and so on and so forth, right? It's kind of illogical for the Biden administration to pack it. If they really have an intention of trying to be bipartisan, then... The Biden administration is not going to turn around and pack the Supreme Court. Um, However, it is a really big thing to keep into consideration because if they really see Roe v. Wade as a big like, monumental pro-choice option, it is something that should be considered a little bit more rather than just looking at it and saying, hey, we're going to pack the supreme court or not pack the supreme court or however you want to look at it
1: and so the second question is will the supreme court eventually find texas's recent abortion law unconstitutional and spencer if you want to start with that because i started last time
0: well throwing me right under the bus uh so i'm gonna answer yes um I found a really good article. Um, it was by Newsweek, uh, not by Newsmax. We trust Newsweek instead. Uh, and the it had a kind of a more famous attorney by the name of Alan Dershowitz. And he made this preposition that the Supreme Court's eventually going to find the Texas law to be unconstitutional. While it is difficult for it to go up in the ranks... Hey, what he discussed was the law failed to undergo what in legal terms is called stare decisis, hey, kind of a mouthful. Hey, this refers to the doctrine that court rulings should be guided by legal precedent established by previous judicial decisions. So the Supreme Court technically is supposed. Post to follow Roe v. Wade, okay? and that is based off of that legal doctrine. Okay? They're supposed to go undergo what's happened in the past um, and follow that over time. That, that's kind of just general way of looking at a legal perspective, right? But here's the thing. He, he made a pretty good claim. Uh, the Supreme Court dodged judicial review here they definitely did not follow upon this legal doctrine that is supposed to be in place. But obviously, you can answer this to be no. Um, And just kind of with the background information of understanding the law, right, the design of having private citizens conduct lawsuits, it's going to be incredibly hard for this to reach the Supreme Court again, Um, which in turn... Is going to be hard to conduct some sort of judicial review on whether the specified law is deemed as constitutional or unconstitutional. Yu Yu, I definitely think that this is a very this is a very interesting topic. Um, yeah, Supreme Court is really the point that we're talking about with this specific legislation that's been passed um, because it involves the Supreme Court pretty much when it comes to this specified law of trying to see if it's going to up, uphold or not
1: yeah and i will like agree with you i personally think that the supreme court will eventually find the texas abortion ban unconstitutional uh, like as we've already seen there have been threats to women and women's privacy and their safety which is like already Merits for it being unconstitutional. Like, I'm pretty sure you've seen this, but on Reddit, there was this comment about how the rapists themselves can actually sue the women that got pregnant and might look towards getting abortion. Or it, it doesn't have to be the rapist, it could just generally be the man that got her pregnant. And that's very that's a very dangerous thing to allow to do and i'm sure that most courts will probably not rule in favor of you know the plaintiff but that doesn't necessarily mean he's getting a punishment at all because he still gets the ten thousand dollar bounty because it's right maybe um and that to me seems like it's unfair and still unconstitutional and if it's Like the Supreme Court, if it's not the Supreme Court doing it, then it'll definitely be like the people pushing um, Congress or like pushing the Biden administration to do something about it, to find it unconstitutional and to make it unconstitutional, or at least to reverse the law. And I think just Mm -hmm. generally, I kind of don't know how to say like they won't find it unconstitutional, but I have read an article by The Hill, which they basically read a warning. It's written by a political science. She has a master's in political science and she's well-known or he, I'm not sure, they're well-known in the United States for like making these kind of arguments and, and law. But generally they state that this is not right. And this could set a dangerous precedent for the future because that means the Supreme Court can just keep kicking it down the line because because they say it's unconstitutional like they can't decide the constitutionality of it now then that means they probably won't decide the constitutionality of it ever because it's not in their power to do so and that could mean they won't ever find it unconstitutional and they can't reverse the texas law uh that's what the hill article stated you should look it up it is linked down below uh another thing just generally is that is it ever possible to do it with the way that the Supreme Court is set up now. For example, with Amy Coney Barrett and her colleagues, they have a majority of conservatives in the Supreme Court. And they always like say, you know, you shouldn't ever have your own party be the influence of your decisions. You should always, like, based on law. Some people are different. And right now it seems like they're all in consensus at least the majority party, are in consensus that, you know, they don't find it unconstitutional right now. And that can mean that they will ever find it unconstitutional. But the chances of that happening, I think, are very slim. So I will stick with my answer of, yeah, they will eventually find it unconstitutional. But that's a couple of reasons why they might not.
0: Well, kind of sticking to that logic, right? Uh, supreme court justices they are supposed to follow what is in the constitution they're really not supposed to turn around and go off of a party basis and that is pretty scary all things considered with looking at really what happened here especially when it went up to the supreme court and they declined to even listen to it right um it it was a 5 to 4 one conservative of the six went to go against right five conservatives voted it's it was pretty much a party line decision it wasn't a it wasn't one that was just truly based on the constitution so it is also important to note that supreme court justices aren't supposed to go with party lines supreme court justices are entitled to when they listen to this to determine whether or not this is constitutional or not. Okay, So the fact that we have six conservatives and three Democrats we know on the Supreme Court, and they declined to listen to this in a five to four vote with only one conservative going with the liberals is kind of a big deal because we see this split that we're trying to make something more partisan when it's supposed to be following what the constitution is supposed to say, right? It's kind of interesting, all things considered because Supreme Court justices are supposed to be following the constitution. Thus, if this case is really like that, like this case is a pretty important case, they should not have declined to listen to it because it shows that they're willing to undergo judicial review. Um, But for some reason, our Supreme Court justices chose not to
1: do that. Yeah. And like another thing just to mention here, this court case that they decided on. Yeah, they went like the route of, you know, this is unconstitutional. Like constitutional. They didn't have enough evidence to prove that it was unconstitutional, which I think is kind of weird because like you can go the route of that. It does violate your right to privacy. And that is unconstitutional, or at least unconstitutional based on the precedent set by Roe v. Wade. And I think probably what they did here was just go a different route than just like the right to privacy. They went the route of interpreting Roe v. Wade as the law making decisions about abortion laws. And because this abortion law doesn't necessarily surround the state and doesn't have like direct influence from the state or the government, then it makes it a little harder to decide it's constitutionality, just because it's like not the state making the decision. It's individual people making the decision. And again, that's the reason why it was so important to like bring up in the first place.
0: Absolutely. This is the law it just in general is complicated. um, But we're definitely going to see some people like try to benefit from it. I think that's a, that's an easy way to put that. Um, and like I said, we're already seeing a huge chain effect to where this law at some point in time is going like, even if it's hard to make it to federal courts, at some point in time, it is going to make it. Um, and I think that's something that people need to keep into consideration because it did it once even though that happened before the law was in effect um if somebody does turn around in the midst of a lawsuit and say that what you're doing is unconstitutional that can work its way up through the courts um and that is something that is that we ought to consider i think it's also important to note um things don't just go right to the supreme court i think that's also good piece of information that everybody needs to know it does start at a local level and then it's got to get appealed and each time it gets appealed the judges have to make the decision about whether or not they're willing to hear it and that's why we when we mentioned it's hard for it to get to the federal court it's difficult for it to get to the federal court because it also has to stop through a state level okay and you got it so it'll start like at the local or county based court you'll move up to a state and you got to go to the federal court um so that's one reason why it would be very difficult for somebody to be able to climb the ladder um but all things considered if this gets challenged enough to where it's continuously getting appealed to higher courts it should in theory be able to make it the supreme court listens to maybe about 200 court cases a year. That's it. It's very little. And it chooses which ones it's willing to listen to, which is why it declining listening to this law is a really big deal. They decided, hey, we're not going to listen to this as one of our biggest ones that we want you to listen to this year or that we want to listen to this year. We've got other ones. But it is also, I think, it is good to note that um, they do have a challenge that is going to be faced eventually, because looking toward the future, Mississippi, I believe it's Mississippi, does have a Supreme Court case that they have to decide on by October. So that relates to the topic of abortion. So whether or not the Supreme Court is going to take that decision to listen to that is a really big deal. Um, I don't recall if it's Mississippi. I believe it is. So correct me if I am wrong uh, when we look that up later after the podcast is over. They are looking into a case that has been submitted to the federal court, and that will determine whether or not they are going to really dodge Roe v. Wade. So whether or not it's, I guess, kind of thinking on that level whether or not it's Texas's law in particular, um, is maybe besides the point. What happens if this specific one undergoes that judicial review? Are they going to uphold abortion or not? And I guess we have to wait till October to see what happens. Maybe that's a good way to end it.
1: (laughs) So I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode and I hope we did everything correctly for you to gain enough information out of this podcast and get the one let us know if you did let us know how you did if you have any questions comment concerns please feel free to dm either me or spencer (laughs) i'm not gonna make that mistake again um yeah we are always on social media or at least i'm always on social media that's like half of where i get my news um i will respond to you in a timely manner and just generally i think if we have like enough questions we might do a q a episode so if you just have general questions or questions about extent we will take both and give you a video that's more entertaining than <laughs> news
0: <laughs> absolutely um thank you all so much for the tremendous support uh we are both very thankful Every, every episode so far has gotten some good feedback. We do want to say we've got a special one coming next week. I'm not, we're not going to spoil it. Uh, but we were pretty excited to hit this topic. It's going to be a really good one. Um, I know a lot of people have some questions about it. They don't entirely understand it. Maybe that gives it away. um, But it will be a really good topic. and. We hope that everybody is looking forward to next week's episode, too.
1: I will give a hint. It doesn't just apply to extempers this time. It might also apply to debaters. So, extempers, let your debate friends know. Or maybe you are a debater, too. But let them know.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we kind of just looking at it in general, and maybe, maybe we'll announce this quite a bit. I will say that looks like election cycles are about to come, too. So we're going to be the election central, probably. Uh, We've got just to kind of give an idea for people who are interested in following the news. Maybe this is a good good way to kind of really end it here. Um, Just for those who are paying attention, Governor Newsom is up for his recall on the 14th of September. That this episode should air on the 13th. So that will be tomorrow um and then canada has got its canada has i believe it's a general election um the liberal party is kind of in an interesting stance right now for canada and then on the 26th of september germany is up for its elections so we are going to probably be election central for a little bit yeah that'll be really good for like international extempers Mm -hmm. Um, And people who are interested in international politics, there's a lot of really good information on how their election systems work um, and kind of how all of their legislatures work. And as a political science major, that is what I study. So there will be some really interesting facts that we can talk about when it comes to these election cycles coming up.
1: Yeah. Um, and there's obviously more things happening than one thing a week so if you have any requests please feel free to send them our way too and we will consider doing them as always good luck have fun and thank you so much for listening
2: thank you all have a great rest of your day peace thank you to yuyu and spencer for another excellent episode of the half hour and on a controversial and spicy issue to boot be sure to check out the notes for the podcast on the One Clap webpage for links to many resources put together by UU and Spencer. Keep yourself sharp, extempers. Don't miss an episode of the half hour. If you have a question or maybe an idea for One Clap Speech and Debate, shoot me an email at LauWiley at gmail.com or reach out on the One Clap Speech and Debate podcast website or social media linked in the show notes. If you want to support the show, Check out the Patreon, also linked in the show notes. Thank you so much to our current patrons, Terry, Tina, Melissa, Brenda, Aaron, Beth, Laura, Debbie, Ashley, Marcus, and Londi. Do you enjoy One Clap Speech and Debate? Are you getting help from our episodes and resources? Well, maybe you can help us grow and provide more resources to new coaches and competitors. Please tell a friend or tell a fellow speech and debate enthusiast about us and encourage them to check us out. Thank you so much for listening to the half hour on One Clap Speech and Debate. We'll see you next time.
0: One clap.